be seated. Thank you. Great to be with you all here for the 2.30 service and happy Mother's Day for all the mothers out there. Put your hand up if you're a mother. Fantastic. God bless you today and happy Mother's Day to my mom if you're watching or if you ever do. But it's great to be with you um, here at the 2.30 service and um, we're continuing on the series of Knowing the Son, Knowing the Son of God. Remember Gabriel last week kicked us off with the first topic which was Jesus being fully God and fully man. And this week we are looking at Jesus who was empowered for a purpose, who was anointed for a purpose, amen? You know, it's a great exercise to to study various characters in the Bible. But there is nothing quite like studying the man Christ Jesus. How many believe that? We could study many figures in in biblical history. We could look at church history over thousands of years. We could look over world history even. Uh, Many figures that have come and gone, but there is no one who quite walked the planet like Jesus Christ. Amen? There is no one like Him. He is the most unique person of history. And so it's important for us to understand that as we're actually looking at this series. We don't have a Jesus or, or a Savior who is dead. He's alive. Amen? We have a Savior who is alive. As the Gospel of of, of John so rightly communicates, it says simply that He came, He lived among us, He dwelt among us, He suffered, He died on a cross for our sins, He rose again, and now He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And we're here today, really ultimately, because we want to learn from Him. Amen? Amen? We're here as students, as disciples who want to learn more from Jesus because what he did 2,000 years ago has a huge impact on the way that we live our life today. I'm going to be starting with my first text today from Mark 8, 27 to 30. Come with me to Mark 8, 27 to 30. Mark 8, 27 to 30. Here we go. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you are the, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say I am? And Peter replied, You are the Messiah. You know, throughout Jesus' three-year ministry on earth, he would spend lots of time with his disciples, asking them different questions as they traveled. And I guess this was just part of their discipleship training. They were learning and being challenged by Jesus, being uh, learning so much from him, doing life with him every day. And understand, as we've just read this text here in Mark, that by this time in the chronology of Jesus' ministry, that Peter and the other disciples of Jesus had already been with him for over two years. They'd already been with him for such a considerable time. And so they had watched him perform miracles. They had uh, seen him heal the sick, uh, restore uh, the blind, uh, feed the hungry multitudes, walk on water, calm the storms, even raise the dead. Even they themselves were sent out to do the work of the kingdom. 
And, and so what that what means is that Jesus was a great person to hang around. Jesus was exciting. Life with him was an adventure. It was a challenge. And these disciples were learning things from him all the time. And so they had seen all these things that he did. They heard him speak. They had uh, listened to his parables and his famous sermons like the Sermon on the Mount. But even with all this, they were still missing some things. They were still missing a vital truth. They did not have complete understanding. And as we've just read in this text in Mark 8, this is a pivotal point in the disciples' journey because they were about to discover the true identity of the one that they've actually been following for the last couple of years. And so Jesus turns to his disciples that day on this this road, probably a dusty road to Caesarea Philippi, and they're all walking together, probably three or four conversations and a bit of banter going on. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops and asks them, who do men say that I am? Jesus knew that there was a buzz spreading about him. Uh, He knew that people were speculating and talking about him, uh, but because he was, of course, more than just a a simple carpenter from Nazareth. So Jesus says, you know, effectively, when you're out there in, in, in the marketplace, when you're out there on the streets, when you're out there in the temple and the synagogues, what are people saying about me? Gospel of Luke says, who do the crowd say I am? And the disciples respond saying, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Uh, Some say that uh, you're you're Elijah and and others say you're like Jeremiah or just one of the prophets. And we know John the Baptist was a great preacher, a great teacher. He came and, you know, preached the kingdom, preached repentance. Uh, Elijah was a prophet we've heard of before, a great man of faith and of healings uh, and um, Jeremiah was someone who told of future events, and effectively a prophet was someone who would, would come, would be sent by God, and he would come and, you know, say, tell people to get their life right with the Lord. And so the teachings and, and, and Jesus' healings, all these things that he's been doing, makes people think of the great figures of the past. They use these great figures of of the past to make sense of what they see in Jesus, to define him or to give him some kind of identity. And so what we see, first of all, here in this Gospel of Mark is that in this Gospel, Jesus wants us actually to be aware of of what people are saying out there. He wants us to be engaged with what people are saying out there in society about him. We live in a society, of course, that has many opinions about who Jesus is. People that say, you know, he was just a prophet or he was just a holy man. He was just a, maybe a spiritual leader or a good example. Uh, or that some say he's dead. He's not relevant to my life. And the world and the church, in fact, have, have wrestled over who Jesus is for over 2,000 years. Some saying, well, was he just an angry prophet? Was he just a, a military king? Uh, when it comes to beliefs, was he a Catholic? Was he a Calvinist? What, what was he? And so the disciples responded to Jesus, some saying, you're you're like Elijah, some are saying like a Jeremiah or Isaiah. But then Jesus takes it further with his disciples. He presses in about his identity. And he asks them further. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Jesus asks this question to those who have been so closely with him day day in and day out for the last couple of years. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? After all, you can't go on what everybody else is saying, what the crowd are saying. You have to know who Jesus is 
for yourself. Amen? And so this, the answer to this question has a huge impact on every one of our lives and the way that we live it. Jesus was asking his disciples this, what's so special about me? What is so unique about me? And so this question asked by Jesus is not just for you, if you like the theologians, the historians and the scholars of our day, it's for you and I, amen? Jesus asked this question back then, but later on, 2,000 years later, he's still asking the question to us, but who do you say that I am? And finally, here in this story, Peter, he finally, he finally steps up to the plate. He speaks by revelation, and he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Messiah. Other gospels say uh, that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Peter is saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the king. And in fact, Mark's gospel really talks about the kingship of Jesus, that the king had come down to earth and dwelt among us. But what does the word Messiah mean? The word Messiah translated means simply this, anointed one. Jesus is the anointed one of God. Maybe some of you may say, okay, well, what is an anointed one? Well, in the Old Testament, when a person was anointed, they actually had oil that was placed upon their heads, and so they were set apart for a holy and some kind of a sacred function, some kind of responsibility that God was giving them. And only a few in the Old Testament were anointed. People like priests, people like uh, prophets and kings were all anointed and set apart by God. For example, Samuel. How many remember Samuel? Samuel anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Only when he was around 16, 17 years of age. It wasn't until 14 years later that he actually became the king. He's an example of someone who was anointed with oil. Elijah anointed kings and prophets with oil, uh, setting them apart for special responsibilities. And what was this? It was an empowerment. It was the Spirit of the Lord coming upon them with power. It was the enabling of God for, for them to be, uh, be able to actually perform their duties before the Lord. Some received supernatural strength. How many remember Samson? Yep. Samson, Samson I guess, remembered for all kinds of different things, but he was someone who had supernatural strength given to him. So strong was he that he could, you know, rip lines apart, which would have been pretty cool lines apart, he could defeat armies and all that kind of thing. And there were other people who were anointed like David who was able to have strategies to, to get victories in battle. And there were many others. But these are people whom God had placed a special assignment on their life. And so here in this text, as we see in Mark, God the Father, he breaks in and gives Peter this amazing revelation. He gives these disciples this revelation. And Peter is not saying, you know, he's not saying that, Jesus, you are just another anointed one. Not just another king, not just another Messiah, not just another prophet. You are the Messiah. Amen. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the king. Jesus Christ is the anointed one of God, which means he is the true priest, the true king, and the true prophet. And so we understand that Jesus Christ was anointed of God, but what was he anointed for? In the Old Testament, there were various prophecies about the coming Messiah. And uh, many predicted that Jesus would be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And one of these uh, major prophets 
was a guy called Isaiah. How many remember Isaiah? And he's called a major prophet because of the size of his book in the Old Testament. Come with me to, to Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 2. Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 2, towards the end. And Isaiah says this about Jesus. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, referring to Jesus, because the Lord has appointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Isn't that powerful? Now, Jesus comes to planet earth to fulfill this prophecy that Isaiah had spoken of. And in Luke 4, verses 18, he goes to his hometown in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath day, they went to the, he went to the synagogue as was custom. The scroll of the Isaiah prophecy was handed to him. He unrolls it and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What happens next is Jesus rolls up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Isn't that powerful? Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. And what he was doing here effectively was Jesus was reading out his mission statement to earth. He was reading out his mandate to earth, what he had actually come for. And so these scriptures that we've just read, they reveal that why he was sent, why he was anointed, why he was uh, uh, empowered by the Spirit of God. He was anointed to preach the gospel, to bring good news to the poor, to heal those, to fix those who were broken to preach deliverance to the captives and to give sight to the blind. In fact, it's interesting, when you look through Mark's gospel, uh, it talk, he talks about Jesus and many of the works that he did. And Mark gives an example of what a typical day would have looked like in Jesus' life. And he says this, he says, you know, he preached in the synagogue, he deliv- delivered a captive, healed the sick, and cast out demons. That's not bad for a day's work, is it? That's pretty good. And so this was commonplace in Jesus' ministry. Jesus ministered to vast crowds of people. He ministered to lonely, broken people, poor people. And you see, they saw His power. They saw His authority. They saw the way that He taught. And so the fact that the Spirit of the Lord is on Him, it's a recognition of His authority. Everyone know what I'm saying? It's a recognition that the Spirit of the Lord is on him. Jesus was anointed to do this specific work. Jesus was set aside for the work of God. God had actually chosen him specifically for this work. And so what that means is that all the gifts of the Spirit, all the the graces of the Spirit were given to him, not by measure like those who in the prophets in the Old Testament, but without measure. So he is the only one in history who has ever uh, actually received an unlimited uh, anointing with the Spirit. For example, John 3.34, you don't have to go there, maybe you want to jot it down. But it says this, For he whom God has sent, being Jesus, speaks the words of God, for God gives not the, me- not the Spirit by measure to him. In other words, 
there was no limit to the ability of Jesus Christ. Amen? For example, he turned water into wine. Nobody had ever done that before. He healed the lame, the blind, and the deaf. He calmed storms. He had power over nature. He multiplied some food to feed 5,000 people. He raised the dead. And so this anointing was demonstrating in his ability to do supernatural miracles. It was all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to these uh, words of Peter who was with Jesus for all these uh, three years of ministry. Come with me to Acts 10 verses 38. Acts 10 verses 38. And here Peter is preaching to Gentiles um, and he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he says this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Amen. And so being anointed, he had been given the the ability and, and this empowerment to get the job done. What was the job to be done? Jesus was anointed to seek and save the lost. Contrary to Jewish expectations, which were, you know, they thought that Jesus, a kind of Messiah would come, that that would be some kind of political rule or even military leader who would deliver them from the Roman Empire. Instead, Jesus came as the anointed one and he would come and lay down his life as a ransom for the world. Even though he was anointed, he would suffer. He would become a servant. He would give himself as a sacrifice. He would provide a way for salvation for us. Amen. And so Jesus as the king of this kingdom was anointed to break evil powers, to break demonic influences over people's life, to break chains, uh, to chains of sin over people's lives, setting them free. Jesus was anointed to heal all manner of sickness, whether that was physical, whether that was emotional, whether that was spiritual. Whatever it was, Jesus came as the great physician. And that's not an unfamiliar term. For Kensington Temple, because some years ago, many years ago, Kensington Temple was known as a church of the great physician. How many knew that? You're in a church that's got a very rich heritage in the anointing and of the miraculous. But Jesus came as the, the great physician. And that anointing has, has flowed ever since those days, back in 1930s or 1940s, it's flowed to the present day. And so as you see through the Gospels in Jesus' life and ministry, the Holy Spirit, who was illustrative of the anointing, was his inseparable companion. Jesus had a special relationship with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? All activities in his life, from his birth, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, they happened through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain briefly what I mean. Jesus, firstly, was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin. It was a creative miracle, a creative supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment, the Holy Spirit never left him. It was with him through his childhood, through his teenage years, through his adulthood. And the first significant public event that we see in the Gospels is Jesus' baptism. And coming up out of the water, the Bible says he saw the heavens opening up and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. What was this about? This was about the approval of heaven. 
God the Father had come and declared this about that he was his beloved son. In him he was well pleased. And he is identified as this long-awaited Messiah. And so he's anointed for this specific purpose, for this specific surface. Uh, This was an anointing from above. The Spirit descended upon him, equipping him with great power to perform his ministry. The next event in, in the ministry of Jesus comes straight after his baptism. The Bible says that the Spirit drove or led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by the devil. And after that temptation, when the devil had finished every temptation unsuccessfully, the Bible says Jesus returned to Galilee. And here's the key. It says he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And then and only then he began his ministry. It was in the power of the Spirit that he began to to teach in the synagogues. It was through his whole ministry was to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So whatever he did, whatever he was teaching, whether he was healing, whether he was casting out demons or commanding storms to cease or whether it was, whatever it was, it was through the enabling, the empowering and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Amen. The full anointing of God's Spirit had to be in his life for him to be successful in ministry. Jesus was dependent on the Spirit, on the Holy Spirit for enabling, for power, for, for, for direction. He didn't do one miracle until the Holy Spirit had come upon him. So as we read further on in the Gospels, we see that Jesus was fulfilling his purpose on earth. And his identity and purpose was being increasingly recognized. It was being noticed as he starts to draw nearer to the cross, which was his ultimate purpose of why he came. Even when it comes to his suffering, when it comes to his death, When it comes to him facing the cross, the Holy Spirit was with him. Amen. Hebrews 9.14 is an incredible verse. You can jot it down if you like. We're not going to have to go there. But it says that the blood of Christ was offered without blemish to, to God. Christ offered his blood as a sacrifice, a blameless, without blemish sacrifice to God through the eternal spirit. What does that mean? Even the power that caused him to endure the cross and the pain and the suffering was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that gave him the power to say, not my will be done, but yours be done. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that enabled him to say, you know, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. It was the Holy Spirit that enabled him to just stay there until he said it is finished. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled him to say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But it doesn't stop there, does it? The Holy Spirit is is active in Jesus' resurrection. It was the Holy Spirit who was the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It was his power. He's the third person of the Trinity. It was uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we often talk sometimes about the fact that Jesus Christ is our model. And we emphasize that a lot here at Kensington Temple, that Jesus Christ is our model to live the Christian life. But He is also the model of the Spirit-controlled life. He is also the model of the Spirit-empowered life, the Spirit-anointed life. He shows us what it looks like in perfection. 
And so the best way for us to understand the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. Everybody with me? Finally, in Acts 1, come with me there. We're going to look at that just for a short while. Finally, in Acts 1, just after Jesus' resurrection and just before Jesus' ascension, we have this incredible promise that these disciples that have been hanging out with him for so long, for three years, have they've been with him, living life with him. And this promise comes that they are going to receive this infilling and this baptism of the Holy Ghost. In fact, all four Gospels and the book of Acts, they talk about this promise that Jesus will come and he will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That after Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension, he will give to us the Holy Spirit. He will send to us the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus spoke of this in John 14 and John 16. What he was saying here was that, that another counselor, another helper, a partner is going to come and take his place. The Holy Spirit's going to come alongside us. He's going to be our support. He's going to be our guide. He's going to be the spirit of truth. In other words, Jesus was saying this in Acts. He's saying, you've seen him in me. And now he's going to be in you. Amen. You've seen his power in me. And now his power is going to be in you. You've seen the relationship I have with the Holy Spirit. Now you're going to have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive an empowerment from on high. And that's why in John 16 verses 7, Jesus says to them, It's better for you if I go away because then I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be in you. He will come upon you. He will be poured out upon you. Even the Old Testament saints prophesied about this taking place, like Joel. Joel said, he prophesied, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy and dream dreams. Even the Old Testament saints were prophesying about this spirit being poured out upon the early church. This would birth the early church. And so this anointing was not just to come upon a few like in the Old Testament, but upon every believer. Amen. This anointing, the Spirit of God, will come upon the whole body of Christ. Not just upon just a few preachers and, and evangelists. It would come upon the whole body of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, and greater things will you do when I go to the Father. Jesus effectively says this, if I go up, the Holy Spirit's going to come down. And you will be empowered to preach the gospel. You will be empowered to heal the sick, raise the dead, open deaf and blind eyes. You will be empowered to live. You will be anointed for a purpose. Amen. How many want to live for a purpose? Amen. Jesus knew that without the anointing, there are no results. Jesus knew that the, nobody operates with power in the kingdom of God without the anointing. But with the anointing of the Spirit, everything is possible. Amen. Jesus knew that the anointing of the Spirit will prepare us for every task. It doesn't mean that your life's going to be pain-free or trouble-free, no. But the Holy Spirit will be your source of strength and power to get you through every trial. God anoints us with His Spirit in preparation for whatever life brings our way. 
preparing us for anything. How many of you have ever been through a situation that you thought you never were going to get through it? Yeah, be honest now. How many people have been through a situation that was so tough you never thought you were going to endure it? Yeah. It's like you almost came to the, that breaking point, but you didn't break. You almost thought that you were coming to the end of your rope, but miraculously there was rope given to you. All of a sudden you were coming to the, to the end of your strength and there was renewed strength that came to you. Why? Because the fresh infilling of the Holy Ghost got you through that trial. God the Holy Spirit anoints us for everything that we face in our life. You come to the end of your strength and you need God to fill you, to revive you, to refuel you, to re-energize you. Come with me back to, what, to Acts. Acts 1 verses 8. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What happens after this? Jesus sends, ascends to heaven. He's given this promise. He ascends to heaven. And before their eyes, that probably was quite a sight for him just to go up to heaven like a shuttle. And uh, shortly after that, in Acts 2, it says this. That when the day of Pentecost came, they were all, 120 people gathered together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire rested upon them. Peter preaches. 3,000 get saved. And the promise that Jesus gave had come to pass. Amen. And every single believer since that day of Pentecost has received the Holy Spirit and has access to this baptism of power. How many want that power in your life? We all have access. It's available to all. And so the same things that Jesus saw the Spirit of God do in His life are the same things that the Spirit of God can do in your life. Amen? The Spirit is the one, He's the anointing. He's the one who teaches you. Like in the Old Testament, He's the oil. He's the fire. He's the, the mighty breath of God as He was revealed in, Pente in Pentecost. Even through tough times and through trials and persecutions, whatever you're going through in your life, He is the oil. He is the fire. He is the wind that carries you through. When Jesus went to the cross, it was the Holy Spirit who gave Him power over the pain. Power through the suffering to endure the cross. And He is the same Spirit who helps us through our suffering. Amen. And through our pain and the stuff that we go through. Peter said in 1 Peter, you can jot that down if you like, it's a verse to look at afterwards maybe. Peter said this, he said that if you suffer for the sake of Christ, listen. He said the spirit of grace and glory rests on you. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? The spirit of grace and glory rests on you. The reason you can endure suffering and pain. And all the difficulties of life that sometimes you have to face is because the Holy Spirit gives you strength. You're not on your own. Because with God, there's always a third day, there's always resurrection power that He wants to give to us. When Christ came out of the grave, it was the Holy Spirit that raised Him from the grave. And so it is with us. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. See that? Through His Spirit who dwells in you. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, the Spirit dwells in you. Amen. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He provides power and strength through temptation. He provides power and strength to overcome every tactic of the enemy. And lastly, there's one more thing he does. And I love this. This is found in Acts 1.8. Come there again. And it says this, You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be. What's the next word? My, my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit empowered Christ to preach. The Holy Spirit empowered Christ to proclaim, and He does the same with us. He empowers us to proclaim. This is kind of like the end product of what the Holy Spirit does in us. What's the, the, the purpose of the Holy Spirit giving us life? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit transforming us into the image of Christ? What's the purpose of the Holy Spirit, you know, maturing us through our, our sufferings? What's the purpose in all that? His purpose is to make us effective witnesses, amen? So that the Great Commission can be fulfilled. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and me is He wants to make us powerful witnesses for Christ. This is what happened at Pentecost. It was because of the Spirit's anointing, uh, empowering, and because they were open to the Holy Spirit. They were open to the Holy Spirit. Not everybody is always open to the Holy Spirit. God is looking for those who are open to the Holy Spirit. And so this is a spirit of outpouring and anointing that we need today. How many need that in your life today? We need the spirit of anointing and empowering upon us. This is the spirit that gave birth to the church. This is the power of Pentecost. We need to get back to our roots and be freshly filled with the Holy Ghost. Maybe you're here today, and if Peter's around, if you can come on the keys. Maybe you're here today, and you come to that place in your life where you're just fed up of living life in the natural, living life through your own means, through your own strength. And you've kind of exhausted all of your natural resources. And something within you says, I want to tap into the resources of the Holy Ghost today. Something within you says, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I need the empowering and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. How many of you want that today? Let's stand together. sometimes away we live a life and sometimes it's the same for me we sometimes get so busy with, with the Christian life and yet it's like to give you an analogy we're like playing on a field and we're doing our thing and yet the Holy Spirit is sitting on the sidelines not really engaged not really interacting in our life and you see what the Holy Spirit is really looking for he's looking for that prayer that simply says Jesus Christ I want you to be glorified in my life Holy Spirit, I need you to partner with me. I want you to come alongside me to lift up the name of Jesus, to glorify the name of Jesus Christ in my life. And when the Holy Spirit hears that prayer, He jumps to attention. And He says, you know what? I can work with that because that's what I want to do. I want to glorify the name of Jesus Christ through your life, through your words, through your actions, to you at, the, at work, in your, in your university, your college, your school, wherever it is. I want to partner with you to lift up the name of Jesus.
He's the partner. He's your support. He's your guide. Right now, let's just open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Right now, acknowledge His presence in this place and simply ask Him to come upon you today. Say, Holy Spirit, come upon me to lift up the name of Jesus, to glorify the name of Jesus. I'm tired of doing things on my own. I need you to fill me afresh today, to anoint me, empower me today. Fill me afresh in Jesus' name. So go ahead right now in whatever way you want to just speak to the Lord right now. Maybe you want to lift up your hands. That's a posture of openness to the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Fill you. This is a new day for you. This is a new time, a new season. Step into the realm of the Spirit today. you lift up your voice to the Lord say God I'm after you I want you pour out your spirit upon me tiredness and say freshly fill me Holy Ghost today fill me afresh difference today in my life. I sense, I feel maybe need to share this, I feel, feel in my heart that there may be people here today, you know, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so powerful, but often the Holy Spirit is often involved in birthing new things. He initiates, He births new things new things in our life and sometimes things that have fallen away to the wayside he wants to recover and I feel that uh, maybe there's some here today who uh, there's the fresh uh, gift of creativity that's to come upon you again this may be a, a, a creativity in, in, um, in, in writing it may be uh, in, in singing uh, speaking it may be drawing painting in all these different areas I believe that, that the Lord wants to reignite something within you how many of you are here would that apply to yeah okay right now just to, this if those around you can just get gather around them and, and 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 pray for them that God will start to ignite something and revive something in them this gift of creativity that's lie dormant for some while
I pray that there'll be a fresh enthusiasm for creativity. to be skillful spark something today ignite something in their heart today give them supernatural vision God. We encourage you as you even go away today to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive to things that He is saying to you. Amen. Be sensitive to the anointing. God, the anointing is precious in your life. Don't let other things get in the way of that anointing, that Spirit of God resting upon your life. Praise God. Amen.